Now, all of you are not, but for those of you who are tired of hearing about the Babylonian exile, let me introduce this week's prophet with a different kind of story. Today, Habakkuk. Four years ago, I played my guitar and taught a new song to the kids at Camp Prism. It ends with the words, give me a hug, I'm connected to you. I wrote the song so the kids could get out of their chairs each morning, walk around and greet one another with a hug. And I threw in a little theology. You know me. I've got my mama's eyes and my daddy's nose. I'm borrowed parts from head to toe. Under the sun, there's nothing new. We all came from the dark, soupy ocean. Stardust isn't just a sentimental notion, so give me a hug. I'm connected to you. You ought to hear the kids singing it. Now, we had sung and hugged several times when a little girl came up to me after our session and asked, why do you, see, say, why do you say we all came from the dark, soupy ocean? And I said to her without thinking much, well, science tells us that all life began in the oceans. Well, the look on her face and the way that she turned quickly and walked away made it obvious to me she did not approve of my answer. I thought about that episode a number of times. This was four years ago. We've been off Camp Prism for the last three summers because of COVID. Uh, I thought about that episode, and I didn't know, did somebody put this little girl up to this? This was kind of a bold question for a third grader to ask the, the worship leader. But this year, after we sang Connected to You the first time, at lunch, the children's minister from a church in Greenville, South Carolina, said to me with a smile on his face, you know, we have a family in our church whose children attend Bob Jones Academy. The daughter came the last time we had camp, and she asked me during that week, why do we sing about the soupy ocean? And she said, that's just not right. That's not what they teach us at Bob Jones Academy. You know Bob Jones Academy, the fundamentalist Christian academy associated with Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, the next time we sang this summer, I explained that the Bible says when God began to create, the wind of God swept over the face of the deep, that is, over the oceans. And I said to the children, this is also what science says. Life began in the oceans. There's no reason at all for you to think that your Bible and the science book you read at, uh, in school cannot go together. Now, what does this have to do with Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk was having trouble with God, maybe questioning his belief altogether. If you read the book and you read between the lines, between the anger and the despair that is evident, you may hear some doubt. Where are you, God? These Babylonians, now Habakkuk called them Chaldeans, these Chaldeans are wicked and evil. They are destroying us. Why is this happening? How can this be, God? The first chapter of Habakkuk is this complaint. It is a daring assertion of faith, wagging your finger in the face of the divine, demanding some answers. Why, God, why? The second chapter is a detail of the evils of the Chaldeans. Now, to his credit, unlike the prophet Nahum from last week, Habakkuk also recognizes there was great corruption and wickedness among his own people and in their religion as well. 
the detailing of this failure of justice, both within Israel and from the Chaldeans, goes on and on. It's all of chapter 2. The poor are trampled. The wicked prosper. Where is God? Now, the way the complaint and the lament, chapter 1 and chapter 2, come together tells us that Habakkuk is struggling with one of the great philosophical questions of all time, the problem of evil. Why do the wicked prosper if there is a just God in the world? Habakkuk knew that his Bible mostly says you get what you deserve. God punishes the wicked and the righteous prosper. Now this is what the Bible mostly says, but we spent last summer looking at the unorthodox theology of Ecclesiastes who dares to question this kind of common wisdom this kind of justice, and we can all say thanks be to God for Ecclesiastes. But in Habakkuk, those first chapters outline the heart of the argument that the theologians call theodicy. How can there be evil in the world if there is a good God? Or to state it conversely, as many are asking the question today, how can you say there is a God if biological life is the 3.7 billion year story of endless suffering and death, of nature from start to finish evolving but red in tooth and claw. So much death, so much evil, and you say there's a God? And this brings me back to my little friend from Bob Jones Academy, who just could not align a view of science with her narrow interpretation of Scripture. And what I would tell her today if she were sitting with us is that if the only answer we can give is based on some literal image of some distant creator, an all-powerful deity who looks a lot like a tyrant or a king, the omnipotent force in the sky who just does whatever and wherever and whenever God wants to do, whether that theology makes any moral sense or not. If our only conception of God is formed around the notion of power and control, increasingly that notion of God is going to present a conflict in the minds of our children. Unless you attend a fundamentalist Christian academy that is bent on teaching the world is only 6,000 years old, that God literally created literally everything from literally nothing and made all the literal rules to govern all that literal stuff. Unless you send your children to one of those schools, they are going to learn the story of the dark, soupy ocean, beginning in elementary ways in elementary school. That's what our children are being taught in school because the truth is, that's the truth as we understand it. And if the church must keep defending an omnipotent deity who could stop all the evil in the world, if he, of course the grand he, the all-controlling man upstairs, if he just wanted to stop all the evil in the world, but mostly just chooses not to, well, I just don't believe the future is very bright for the church or for that kind of antiquated God. But Habakkuk, who questioned God 2,800 years ago, gives me hope. You see, Habakkuk asked the question of theodicy. He brought his doubt to God, 
was brutally honest in his critique, leveled all his skepticism. But Habakkuk had been given a faith that was strong enough to stand. His was not a faith based on the answers to philosophical questions. There is no answer to theodicy in Habakkuk or anywhere else in the Bible or anywhere else in the world. Instead, the prophet had been given a faith based on a vision of justice, a biblical vision, a vision of the way the world could be, a vision of justice and equality, a vision of peace, the peace that really could be on earth as it is in heaven if we were just faithful. So thank God for Habakkuk who gives us no answers, but whose faith is strong enough that he can be faithful in his own day with his own doubts, faithful to a vision that could only come from God. People of faith have claimed that God's way is the only vision that can save this world from its own wicked ways. Even with an understanding of a 15 billion year old, always evolving universe, I still believe that. So thank God for the dark, soupy ocean and for a vision of justice and peace and for Habakkuk, who was faithful. May it be so. If you listened last week about the prophet Nahum, you will remember that I did not care for him. In fact, I ended my sermon with something like, don't be like Nahum. He presented God as vengeful, judgmental, and even though he gave us one, God is slow to anger, I don't think he really meant it. He was harsh and angry and had let the partisan politics of his own day turn his heart bitter. And I really get that. It's a temptation that we all know all too well these days. But don't be like Nahum, but Habakkuk. I'm thankful for him this week. Now, if you think that we know a ton about each of these minor prophets off the top of our heads, you would be thinking too highly of us. It's not just every day that preachers go around quoting Habakkuk. And the truth is, not much is even known about this prophet to tell you a lot about him. But he speaks for all of us at some point. The Oxford Annotated Bible says he confronts honestly the profoundly disturbing problem of why a just God is silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they. The portion that I read earlier is from the, a dialogue between Habakkuk and God where Habakkuk laments the problem of evil in the world with a good and just God, which is something we all want to know the answer to, don't we? He is full of the question that is not just reserved for four- and five-year-olds. Why? No, but why? Why? He asks it for all of us. How long, O oh Lord? How long? 
How long shall I cry out for help? Are you not listening, God? I tell you about the problems of the world and you seem to do nothing about any of it. Why do I have to look at the mess of this world with all of its destruction and violence, strife, contention arise everywhere and justice never seems to prevail? And then it seems like so many times the wicked are surrounded by the righteous. The wicked surround the righteous. It's not fair. I don't understand it. I don't like it. And if I'm sounding a bit whiny, God, it's because it's hard to explain you in a world that is so not you. And you created this mess? Why is there evil and suffering in a world created by a God that is good? It's so hard to explain and justify you, O oh God, in a world that often seems void of your presence. It's hard for us to make sense of it because this is an issue that impacts people on a very individual and personal level. Why do bad things happen to good people? And it impacts everyone on a corporate, systems-based, global level. Nations rise up against nations. People are starving. Violence is the answer to almost every problem. There's homelessness and inequities at every turn. How in the world are we to make sense sense of this and still believe in you, O oh God, how will we ever keep a church going in a world like this if you are supposed to be good and just? Now, I started the paragraph quoting Habakkuk, and then I took it from there, speaking on behalf of you, many of you, I suspect. At least I hope I'm speaking on behalf of many of you. If you aren't asking those questions, you are not paying attention. We wring our hands, we rant and rave, we lament. Lament is a very important word for people of faith. To be found truly faithful, I think it is appropriate and even necessary for us to lament. It's what Habakkuk does for a large portion of his writings. Without the ability to lament, we are simply head in the sand kinds of folks. And it's hard to follow anyone anywhere when your head is in the sand, refusing to face the harsh reality of a world that is not only far from perfect, but actually often seems more like it's falling apart. Without our questions about injustice, would anyone ever seek justice? Without our frustrations and our anger about the problem of evil in the world, would anyone ever engage their own passions to make a difference in the world? Without our sadness or our outrage, would anyone ever do anything to make the world a better place. Our lament should call us to action. Don't be afraid of Habakkuk's honesty. Our burden should call us to repentance, which is literally just turning around. Our honest observations and questions should call us to change. So ask your questions. 
Vent your anger appropriately. Shake your fist at God. God can take it. I actually think God wants it. How else will God know that we are really alive if we are not doing that at the injustices of this world? Make sure that God hears your cries of anguish and pain for yourself and for the world. Habakkuk has shown us that honesty and questions and anger and lament and burden are prophetic powers to change the world. If you are not incensed by the violence and wrongdoing and trouble and destruction and strife and contention and wickedness, and those are Habakkuk's words, then you're not paying attention. And not paying attention may just be the most egregious slap in the face God could ever receive from us. So in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, we get God's response portion of the dialogue with Habakkuk. Because God can take it, the Lord answered and said, Write the vision, make it plain. The righteous live by their faithfulness. Write the vision, make it plain. The righteous live by their faithfulness. So God's answer to our questions and our lament and our burden is for us to do something about all of it. We want to know why God is not just. Perhaps God wants to know why we are not seeking justice. We want to know why God is not fair. Perhaps God wants to know why we don't treat people fairly. We want to know where God is with all the evil and chaos and destruction of this world. Perhaps God wants to know where we stand and why we aren't doing something to make the world a better place. God has been extraordinarily clear about what God wants and needs and expects. It's biblical justice. And God is looking to us to make God's vision complete. We are so good at questioning God. We are not so good at questioning ourselves. How do we make the world a better place? Write the vision. Make it plain. Now, I don't consider myself a prophet. I'm just a preacher and a follower of Jesus. But I can add my experience and my understanding to those of the prophets of old and to our more contemporary prophets. I have found in my life that God is faithful. If God is anything, God is faithful. Never leaving me or forsaking me. Giving me strength even when my own pettiness gets in the way. And Lord, help me, it does. Comforting me when I despair. Holding me close when I'm afraid. 
honestly, in the hardest times of my life, all I have needed is the faithfulness of God to be present with me. I don't need my specific wants or desires to be fixed or changed by God. And while that sounds lovely, it's not real to how the world works with all of our freedom and the freedom of all of creation that was God's ingenious design in the first place. I understand God to be love. I understand God to be mercy, forgiveness, grace. I understand God to be present and calling us to be present. I understand that God wants me to be love. God wants me to be mercy and forgiveness and grace. That's God's vision. I have written it down. I made it as plain as I could make it. I encourage you, write God's vision for how to make the world just. Write it in your own words for how to solve the problem of evil, but make it plain. It's good advice, God. Because this is hard work you've called us to do. There's no reason to make it more complicated than it already is. And then when you write down this vision and you make it plain, end it with the kind of commitment that Habakkuk said in calling ourselves to be found faithful in all things. Just as God is love, I will be love. Just as God is mercy, I will be mercy. Just as God is grace, I will be grace. Just as God is faithful, I will be faithful. And the world will be a different place when we live and act like this. May it be so. Amen.